Wired.com presents The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. And here is your host, David Barr Kirtley. Hello, and welcome to episode 138 of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy. Today on the show, we'll be reviewing Jupiter Ascending, a new big-budget space opera from Lana and Andy Wachowski, creators of the Matrix trilogy, and discussing whether or not science fiction fans have an obligation to go see this movie. And for the first time in the history of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, I'm joined by four guests. So first up, we've got our producer, John Joseph Adams. He's the editor of Lightspeed and Nightmare Magazines, and also the series editor of Best American Science Fiction and Fantasy. He's also edited more than 20 anthologies, and his latest books are the post-apocalyptic reprint anthology Wasteland 2, and the original anthology of military fantasy Operation Arcana. So, John, welcome back. Thanks, good to be here. Then next up, we've got Matt London making his 13th appearance on the show. He's the lead writer and quest designer of the video game Block Story, and the author of the eco-adventure sci-fi novel The Eighth Continent. A sequel to that book entitled Welcome to the Jungle is out now. So, Matt, welcome back. Glad to be back. And also joining us today is author and film producer Rob Bland, who you may remember from our panels on Batman, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Big Hero 6 vs. Interstellar. He's a two-time Cine Eagle Award winner for the short films On Time and Writer's Block, and he's currently executive producing an independent film, 79 Parts, directed by Ari Taub. Rob is also a graduate of the Odyssey Writers Workshop, and is currently working on a fantasy novel titled Divinity Bind. So Rob, welcome to the show. Hey guys, thanks for having me. And also joining us today for the very first time is Angela Watercutter. She's a writer and editor for Wired, where she writes about TV, music, and movies, but mostly movies. She's also the main person behind the scenes who helps get our posts up on Wired.com, and her recent article, Go See Jupiter Ascending Even If It's Stupid, and It Really Is, helped inspire this panel. So Angela, welcome to the show. Uh, thank you so much for having me. Good to be here. Okay, and so we'll be discussing Jupiter Ascending, and this will involve spoilers, so just be aware of that. And the format of this show will be a bit different from our usual movie reviews. So usually we have a bunch of people go see the movie and then talk about it. But today we've got two people who saw the movie and two people who absolutely refused to see it, and we're going to have a little debate about that. And so John is one of the people who refuses to see this movie, and in fact he hates this movie with a passion despite never having seen it. <laughs> So, John, why do you hate this movie that you've never even seen <laughs> so much? I wouldn't say I wouldn't go so far as to say I hate it with a passion. I just I I everything that I know about it makes me it convinces me that I will hate it if I see it. And so I've been trying to spare myself the agony of having to actually go sit through it. Like if if there was a checklist of like ten things that were signs that. John would hate this movie. It this thing checks at least like nine of them, you know. Um, and and that's just from like the limited uh exposure to like seeing um the trailer and then like seeing some of the reviews. Like and the, and I mean honestly, the more reviews I've seen of it, the less or the more convinced I've become that I would hate this movie. Um, you know, I have seen a few people whose opinion I respect who have gone to see it and they liked it, and so that's kind of made me waver a bit, but. The thing is, like, I've never actually liked a Wachowski movie. I, I didn't even like The Matrix, you know? So, <laughs> I mean, it, 
given that that's generally considered to be by far their best movie, the fact that I didn't even like that one doesn't really predispose me to think that this is going to be something I'm going to enjoy at all, given that it checks all those boxes for me. I, I also didn't like The Fifth Element, which I've seen this compared a lot to. Um, and while I can appreciate uh, beautiful visuals and special effects and everything, like that's not enough for me, not by a long shot. So... I mean, that's why that's why I'm sort of adamant against against going to see it. Okay, wait. So you say there are nine things. Why don't you give us like huh. three three of those? <laughs> uh, well, um, I mean, just you know, I I I didn't come up with an actual list of like in general terms, but it just in terms of specifics for this. I mean, you know, the hero controls bees with their mind or something. I don't know. That sounded ridiculous and stupid. Um, there's like a werewolf guy who. <laughs> Like, has magical flying roller skates or something? I don't know. It sounded all really ridiculous. Um, and, and I mean, I guess the ridiculousness is really the big thing for me, is that it just sounds so ludicrous. I can't even wrap my mind around what this movie is. Um, John, so, John, I have a yeah. quick question to interject. Yes. Um, did you feel like there was a kitchen sink aspect to the movie when you saw the trailer? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean... Um, yeah, I mean, I just I, I didn't know what to make of it when I saw the trailer because I was like, huh, you know. Mm-hmm. But um, that's not that's not the first time that I've that, that that's happened. I mean, I kind of had that impression from the Inception trailer, and I ended up in lo- loving Inception. But um, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but yeah, this one there was just like, I mean, nothing about it appealed to me except maybe for like the visuals. Like, I mean, that's like the one thing that sort of makes me kind of inclined to want to see at least parts of it. Like maybe I can watch just some of the special effects sequences on YouTube or something. Um, just cause I've seen so many people re- really raving about that. But, um, yeah, I mean, just, yeah, just all, all, all these different little specific things, um, just really turned me off, uh, from what I've, what I've read about it. Okay, so so Rob, I mean, you and I went and saw Matrix Reloaded together, and I thought you liked the Matrix movies in general. So why are you so dead set against seeing Jupiter Ascending? Okay, well, I loved the Matrix. I enjoyed uh, the Matrix Reloaded, and I despised the third film, and I felt like it changed everything about the entire trilogy. So um, I so I'm back to loving the first film, and I hate the I hate the other two because of the third film. So, uh, when did the last Matrix movie come out? Um, was that 2003 or something? I want to say 2003, yeah. Right, right. So, the, the, uh, is it, is it, is it Wachowski? It's Wachowski, right? <laughs> I, I looked, I looked it up and I think it's Wachowski. Okay, Wachowski, okay. Uh, the Wachowskis have been on my shit list ever since, <laughs> um, 2003. Um, and, uh, what was your original question? <laughs> why, why are you so dead set against Jupiter Ascending? Oh, uh, it just didn't interest me. I mean, it's not a, I'm not on a lifelong mission to, uh, to avoid it. I just, um, uh, I saw the trailer. Would you say you're on a five-year mission to avoid it? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, it's, it's interesting because I saw that Mila Kunis was in it and Channing Tatum and I was like, okay, well, whatever, you know, it doesn't exactly... That in and of itself didn't interest me. Uh, the special effects looked like, you know, your standard, you know, pretty cool special effects. Uh, it, it, um, it seemed to me a movie that wanted to tell me that it was a love story wrapped in a science fiction wrapper, which is fine. It's just, it's just not enough for me to, to feel like I want to see the movie at all. I mean, I, I didn't have a visceral reaction to it. I just was like, 
uh, I think I could, you know, spend my time doing better things. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so Matt, uh, in addition to Angela's article, this panel was inspired also by a Facebook post that you made. Yeah. Why don't you just tell us about that post and kind of how it came about? Sure. So um, I I was seeing the trailer on TV. I was seeing the 30-second TV spot uh, of Jupiter Sending a Lot. And, um, and I got into a conversation with my wife about it, just how, you know, I had seen that the movie was getting a lot of hate in, in the fan communities that I would have thought were, would be predisposed to like the movie. People who had liked The Matrix, people who liked space opera, people who liked big budget special effects extravaganzas. And yet all the feedback I was seeing about the movie was this, like, very, um, hateful, disdain. And I was puzzled by that. And it occurred to me that so many of the big budget sci-fi movies that we get now um, are based on existing properties, primarily, uh, you know, Marvel, DC, comic book movies. Um, and actually, I, I've gone on now that I've seen the movie to compare the film more and more to Guardians of the Galaxy. Um, and I hope we'll get to talk more about the comparisons later on in the discussion. Um, but basically, uh, inspired by that conversation, I had a, I, I made a Facebook post, which basically said, uh, if you're a, if you're a discerning sci-fi fan and refuse to see Jupiter Ascending, then you only have yourself to blame that there aren't more original big budget sci-fi films. Um, because the only thing that Hollywood understands is money. And so if we as a community uh, uh, ignore projects like this, like Cloud Atlas, um, we won't see more of them. Uh, and I got some uh, interesting feedback on both sides of, of that argument. Okay, well, before we get to that, uh, I mean, Angela, you wrote this article I mentioned that uh, kind of made a similar point, right? Could you talk about your article and how you came to write it? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I should preface all of this by saying I, I come from a position of being very much like a neo-sincerist. Like, I love crap sometimes. Like, a, a good schlock movie will get me through just about any day. And so, like, there was a nut, like, my, my enjoyment of Jupiter Ascending, yes, I think it's stupid, but I also did kind of appreciate it and enjoy it, is based on the fact that, like, you know, you kind of, it's it's easy to get sort of sucked in and just sort of enjoy something even though you kind of like snicker at it a little bit. So, I mean, like I came at it from that standpoint, but you know, as sort of the film critic in me was also like, okay, this plot is a little clunky. I don't know who wrote this dialogue. You know, well, I didn't know who wrote it, but it didn't exactly, <laughs> um, you know, just fly off the tongue. So, you know, like there are those, even though I was having those moments, I was like, I'm still not hating this, you know? So I was kind of just like taking all these things in. And then that kind of led to the sort of similar conclusion of like, you know, I do think that while I don't like supporting stuff that I don't think is good or that I wish was better, there is that part of me that's like, well, at least even though I had seen ideas from that are in this movie before, I hadn't seen that movie before. Even if, you know, with the adaptations and with all the reboots and with things like that, you know, you kind of, it's, there are so many movies I go into now having way too many preconceived notions because they're based on a book I read or at least that somebody told me about or a comic that I know or, you know, a property that I saw in a completely different movie, you know, 
20 years ago before it got a reboot. And so I, I do think that there is a point at which we, you know, we kind of need to throw a little bit of weight behind, you know, behind original movies and behind the idea that we should continue making original ideas and producing original films. Um, do I also sometimes wish that there were 20 really smart, you know, independent sci-fi movies every month that I could tell people the same thing about, you know, to kind of put weight behind a lot of things like that? Yes, I do. But the, the interesting thing I think about sci-fi, especially with filmmaking, is that it's kind of hard. It's even harder to make an independent sci-fi movie, like on a very, very small budget, just because of what's involved in them. Um, so, you know, you kind of have to have like a Jupiter Ascending Warner Brothers backed movie, you know, in order to kind of make these gigantic space opera sort of things. Um, and so at least, you know, in today's standards with CGI and things like that. Um, so, you know, I, 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 while I would love to have written the same story about, you know, an independent sci-fi movie that I saw, you know, somewhere at a film festival or something, there are fewer of those because, you know, it's harder and harder for people to be able to afford to make them. Um, and so that was kind of the thesis of the story, right? Which is just, you know, we, you know, we ought to at least try to see these movies. You know, you might dislike them, you might snark about them, you might, you know, not think they're um, the greatest things in Star Wars, but, you know, kind of give them a shot. They're, you, one, you probably won't dislike it as much as you maybe think you would. Um, and two, there is, you know, there is some value to sort of, you know, putting your weight behind, um, you know, something that's a little more original than, than a lot of the other things out there. So that was, that was where I was kind of coming from. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, and you had saw the movie and then wrote your piece, but Matt was yeah. um, promoting this movie before he'd even seen it. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess, Matt, for, for you, it was, it didn't matter how bad it might be. I mean, was there any level of badness that might have caused you to change your mind? Uh, well, so I, it's a, it's a, it's an issue of like number of data points, right? I don't, I haven't been in this situation with enough big budget sci-fi original movies before to be able to say, yes, I would always have this reaction. Um, but in this case, I found that, uh, it, it was worth making the statement because I, I was shocked by the amount of, of hostility I was reading and hearing, um, and I do think that as a general rule, if you don't have some sort of strong moral objection to the content of the movie, um, you should you should go see it and support it if you're a fan of movies like this, because that's how you get um, you get more movies like this. Matt, from your from your perspective, what what do you think was actually triggering? You know, what was really behind the triggering? Or the, what was the catalyst of all this uh, hate? Uh, towards this particular movie, what is, I mean, not that you've seen it, do, do not that I is? had seen it. Well, I, you know, I, I try really hard not to read too many reviews, if any, before uh -huh. going to see a film. Um, so although I had heard about a lot of the the nasty feedback, I hadn't read any of the in depth takedowns of the film until after I watched it. Um, uh -huh. I now I have watched it, and I stand by my my original point that. I actually think it's a pretty good movie and you should go see it um, because it's entertaining uh, and different. And although there are, you know, Hollywood cliches and sci-fi cliches abound in it, what movie have you seen with a budget over 10 million that does not have that kind of, um, that isn't riddled with those kinds of cliches? Uh, I think it's a movie that's worth seeing. And if you want to see more original sci-fi films, you should, you should put your money behind it. I think that as well, a that's, general... That's 
that's precisely why I don't want to see it, because I did, what I saw in the trailer, and the trailer is supposed to make me go see the film, what I saw was anything but original. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, I mean, and I really kind of rebel against this idea of supporting something that even if we think that it's bad, because, like, we think Hollywood will magically somehow uh, make more movies that are actually good now instead. But the thing is, like, I get what you're saying with that. And I think, like, you know, yeah, if Jupiter Ascending was successful, we might get more original science fiction movies made. But we get idiots like the freaking Wachowskis or Wachowskis. How do you say it, Dave? Wachowskis. <laughs> we're, gonna, we're just going to get... Wachowski like Chewbacca. Right. Okay, gotcha. <laughs> we're, we're just... But we're just going to get directors like the Wachowskis directing the movies and writing the movies. And, and you see that over and over. Like, um, uh, like the, whoever wrote, um, whoever wrote like the iRobot movie, the Will Smith movie from a couple of years ago, it's like that guy ended up show, or, or ended up showing up all over the place, like as if he was some sort of authority on science fiction movies. It's like, well, he wrote a shitty movie that happened to do well at the box office. And then now he's the new golden boy of Hollywood science fiction. And that's the kind of thing that just happens. And I could just see like, oh, now the Wachowskis are going to like, you know, direct this, this and this. And it's like, no, no, that's not a good sign. And that, but I think that's what would happen if we go and support this. And honestly, like, I mean, given that I've never liked any of their movies, like, Please take away their directing cards. Like, stop giving them more ammunition to let these people make more movies. Like, they shouldn't be allowed to. It's like they're they're taking they're taking lots and lots of millions of dollars that could be applied to actually good science fiction movies, and they're making these overblown spectacles that I find repelling. So I can't. I couldn't possibly, um, you know, support uh, like advocate supporting a movie like that. If I think that it's bad, like, I mean, Hey, I I'm, I'm perfectly happy to be proven wrong. Like to be, you know, presented with uh, a movie that they did that, that is actually good. I would, I would change my tune at least for that one particular thing. But you know, everything that I've seen so far, no way, man. But John, you can, you can put yourself, you, you, you recognize that you're a special case in this situation, right? That a majority of people do think that the matrix is a good movie. Yeah. That it's recognized as a classic science fiction film, um, worthy of the money and praise that it's received. Um, and, and that you're unique in this situation that you sort of universally have despised everything that these filmmakers <laughs> have made. Right. So I'm not saying, More or no less. right. I'm not saying that you specifically should go see this movie. Clearly you're predisposed to hate it in a way that few people maybe are. Um, and in fact, you know, again, I, I'm not saying that everyone needs to drop what they're doing right now and go see this movie. But what I am saying is that if you are the kind of person who wishes that they could see more big budget sci-fi movies that aren't based on comic books, then go see this movie because this is the movie that you've been waiting for. No, see, that's what I'm saying, though. It doesn't matter that it's the Wachowskis. It's like, you know, no matter what. You know, you're going to end up with a negative result, I think, by by supporting movies that that you believe to be terrible or, you know, you know, like if if, if you're going just to support it so that you can hope that 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 more science fiction movies or more original science fiction movies are going to get made. I don't think that's going to happen. More movies are going to get made, but they're not going to be good science fiction movies. It's going to be more direct like this. Okay, hold on. I want to get Angela's, Angela's sort of our, our expert here, right? You interview all these Hollywood people and stuff, right? What do you think about John's contention here that if you allow 
people like the Wachowskis to make more movies that increases their cloud and just allows them to infect other science fiction <laughs> movies. I mean, I think that I think that that can happen. I, I sort of made a, a more flip remark in the in the piece that I wrote. Um, sort of like I, I, I basically joked that why don't we just give them a Star Wars movie to make? And like while that could be sacrilege to some people, what I was kind of getting at is that the thing with Jupiter Ascending is like it looked cool. Like they know how to film things that they just need like store, like they need a little help with story and things like that. And if they were just given a project with a good script and like kind of just told like, this is the movie we want you to make and I'll do it the way you would make it, it would be fine. But this is probably never going to happen. And that's, you know, that's neither here nor there. The other interesting thing though, that I think kind of happens with these is that like, you know, the point I was making about, you know, sort of wanting to support more independent filmmakers, you notice that like, the, you know, the handful of people that do make good independent sort of sci-fi or genre films, they have one really good movie that's a completely original idea, and then immediately somebody scoops them up and puts them on a franchise. Like, you know, Gareth Edwards, um, I think it was Monsters was his movie, or Monster. And, you know, as soon as he got done with that, they're like, great, you get to make Godzilla now. And like, and then after that, now he's making a Star Wars movie, and then like, Josh Trank made Chronicle, and now he's making Fantastic Four. And so, like, there's all these sort of things where this happens. Colin Trevorrow um, did, I think, Safety Not Guaranteed, and now he's going on to um, make Jurassic World. And so it's like, we do have these original filmmakers, and it's like, wow, great, you're so original and so inventive. Go make a movie that everybody has already seen. And so it's like, I, I just wish that, the, I don't know that supporting Jupiter Ascending is going to make somebody in Hollywood go, Okay, well, that was good enough. Let's find an indie filmmaker and nurture their, you know, sort of creative talent. But if it would send any sort of message, I would hope that that would be the one. Because at one point in time, the Wachowskis made Bound, and it was, you know, a lesbian psycho thriller. And then they made The Matrix. You know, like, every filmmaker starts out as an independent filmmaker, and then someone gives them a lot of money, and then they make something. It used to be in the 90s, you would make Bound, and then you would get to make your you know, crazy, um, super sci-fi Keanu Reeves movie. But now because franchises do so well and people want to continue making films that have, you know, sort of a baked in audience, you know, they'll get a really creative new filmmaker and they'll be like, wow, you had this awesome movie at Sundance. Everybody loved it. Let's give you something that makes us feel safe. Well, why don't we just say, wow, you did this great movie at Sundance. We're really excited about it. Here's $20 million to make your next one or $40 million or God, I would hope 50 or $100 million, you know, however much. So, you know, like the part of me writing that story while it was, you know, I was kind of just taking the piss, so to say, so to speak. I was also just sort of saying like, support this, but also support the larger idea of like funding these films by people other than the Wachowskis. Like they, I would hope that they keep make, making movies. I particularly kind of like them, you know, like I said, I like a little a little schlock, and I think that they have a sort of appreciation for camp that a lot of sci-fi filmmakers don't. Um, and that's neither here nor there. But like, I think the idea more was like, if we support this movie, then we can also get other people who have original ideas to continue making them. So, you know, I don't know that it's a straight A to B kind of thing of like, you support Jupiter Ascending, and then the Wachowski specifically get to keep making movies. It's like, you support this movie, and then other people who were once in the Wachowski shoes 10, 15, 20 years ago, now they get their shot, you know, because Hollywood's like, well, they did all right. Let's support the next crop. I don't know if that'll ever happen, but, you know, I am here to plant my flag.
what's our Jupiter ascending going to be? Every studio would be asking that question, right? Instead of what's, yeah. our, what's our Avengers going to be? I want to get back to Matt's thing about comparing this to Guardians of the Galaxy. Matt, could you uh, go mm -hmm. into that? Yeah, so um, they're actually very, sim they're very similar movies. They're big, um, big budget sci-fi, you know, space opera spectacles uh, where there are a bunch of factions competing against each other with various goals. Uh, the plot, if you dissect it for any period of time, makes absolutely no sense. And, um, uh, and, and it's filled with scenery-chewing performances. Uh, they're, they're incredibly similar movies. I think, if anything, if there's a discerning thing between the two of them, Guardians of the Galaxy has a somewhat more traditionally masculine uh, aesthetic, whereas Jupiter Ascending has a maybe more traditional feminine aesthetic. Um, and I, I do like kind of viewing them that way because it's, it's interesting to see the sort of different interpretations. Um, I would think that if you like Guardians of the Galaxy, you would enjoy this movie. Um, I felt pandered to start to finish in Guardians. I didn't see an original thing in the entire movie. Um, and so, uh, I'm perplexed by the responses of, of, you know, moviegoers and, and sci-fi fans who think that Guardians of the Galaxy is the best movie in the last five years, um, and, and absolutely refuse to see Jupiter Ascending. Um, because of, because of the number of similarities between them. Yeah, okay, so Rob, do you want to take that? I mean, what do you think of Matt's contention here that you liked Guardians of the Galaxy and this is a movie in a similar vein, so why don't you want to see this one? I don't see them in a similar vein at all. Um, uh, I thought, well, it's kind of hard to take that question considering that I haven't seen, <laughs> that I haven't seen uh, Jupiter Ascending. But I mean, but there was something about the, the trailers and marketing that conveyed the impression to you that you don't want to see it, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, sure. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. No, it just seemed like one of your uh, average uh, love stories uh, wrapped in a big sci-fi, you know, uh, shoot 'em up you know, uh, space opera setting. And how's that different, Rob, than Guardians of the Galaxy? Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy uh, is basically, uh, to me, it's about... Um, uh, what's the guy's name? Star -Lord. Peter Quill. Star Lord. Yes, yes, thank you. Star Lord, man. <laughs> Star Lord, man. Yeah. Um, it's about uh, how Peter Quill deals with the loss of his mom, uh, which I think is a very completely different love than a than a a, a, a movie that uh, that Jupiter Ascending is pushing, which is basically a juvenile. Uh, well, I I saw it as a juvenile love story. Uh, and I don't see Guardians of the Galaxy as a juvenile love story. I, I obviously, like, you know, I can I can see what Matt's talking about. Like, when I look at the trailers, I can see at least some passing resemblance to the two types. Like, they're sort of a similar type of movie. At least it seems that way. Um, for me, the the the, tra the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, it, it you know, it's like, it looked like the movie would be kind of dumb, but fun. And it was, you know, and it's like, but it was dumb in a way that I was able to enjoy it because it was fun. And it, you know, it just, it was sort of fun the whole time, I felt. Um, whereas the, uh, the trailer for Jupiter Ascending to me didn't look fun at all. It just looked dumb, you know, so it's like, it, it was, it had, it had that, you know, it, it, so it like looked dumb, but it didn't have that, that fun in there to, to make it actually seem worthwhile. So, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I haven't seen it, but. I don't think this particularly looked 
dumb. Uh, it just looked boring. Mm. I mean, when I saw the trailer of Jupiter Ascending, I yawned. I was mm-hmm. like, this looks, you know, this looks derivative. It looks, uh, uh, I've seen this before. Uh, it might look pretty. But, you know, I mean, if you want the special effects in a movie to be a character, okay, great. You know, but I don't, I don't want the special effects in the movie to be a character. I want the special effects, much like the musical score, to simply serve the story. So um, that just didn't seem to me uh, the kind of movie that was, you know, uh, resonating with with uh, what I enjoy in a science fiction movie. Whereas with Guardians of the Galaxy, when I saw the trailer, um, my girlfriend, who loves the movie, thought the trailer was terrible. Uh, but I, I there was there was a hint of a type of humor, uh, campy, and I love campy movies, by the way. And I think that we should at least try to make a distinction between bad movies that are good at being bad and bad movies that are soulless, that have no redeemable qualities whatsoever. Um, and uh, so when I saw the sense of humor uh, in the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer, um, I thought, you know, this might be worth seeing. And, it, and I ended up, you know... Uh, being happy about that because uh, I really enjoyed the movie. Well, Angela, what do you think about this? Because I don't think anyone who's actually seen uh, Jupiter Ascending would say that it suffers from a lack of campiness, right? <laughs> no, I don't think it, it doesn't suffer from a lack of campiness. It might at times, I mean, Eddie Redmayne's performance specifically is, you know, over over the top in kind of all the right ways. But I mean, it might suffer from a little bit of a lack of self-awareness. I mean, I think the thing that people liked about Guardians was that it kind of knew mm-hmm. that it was a movie. You know, like it's sort of like, and even in a way that most of the Marvel movies haven't been. I mean, yeah, there's always sort of the Iron Man swagger in an Avengers movie or an Iron Man movie or something like that. But there's like, there, the Guardian specifically, I think, had a, a way of sort of being aware of itself and aware Mm -hmm. that it was like winking at you and telling you, you know, when to have fun. And, and, you know, Jupiter Descending doesn't necessarily have that. I mean, the, the camp is there, you know, in, in more sort of over the, over your head kind of ways or hit over the head kind of ways. But um, to the, to the earlier point, actually about the, the love story, it's weird that that always happens with trailers where like they want to remind you that a love story is happening. But yet at the same time, I think that the actual plot of that only really seemed to seep in maybe an eighth of the time. I mean, no more than it does. I mean, the thing about that is that like, I can't tell you a movie that I saw in the last couple months that didn't have some element of a love story or couplehood or something. You know, I mean, like, they feel like that's kind of part of most movies. Um, so like, I didn't find that to be too, um, too over the top in terms of how much it impeded on the overall, the overall plot. But whatever, whatever you feel about the overall plot is a whole other problem. But, um, but I didn't think that that was, that was, you know, kind of the weak spot of the thing. Like, it didn't feel overly sentimental in that way. The sense that I get is that uh, the trailer for Jupiter Ascending is not doing it any favors. Um, yeah. It is a big budget spectacle, but they hang so hard on this dumb line of her saying that, you know, like, I'm more like a dog I've than a human. <laughs> oh, I've always liked yeah. dogs. It's a stupid line. And I <laughs> right. think that that line alone turns off a lot of people from the movie when they see the trailer. What's ironic is that when you get to that scene in the movie, 15 seconds after that line, she says, that's the stupidest thing I've ever said. Like, what a dumb line. Yeah, 
Right. You what know? the hell did they put yeah. it in the trailer for? My it's God. it's an incredible question. Yeah. Why would they do that? I don't know. Right. It's it's funny because all of the criticisms that I'm hearing from you guys about about the way that you've assessed the film are completely inaccurate. Um, you know, Angela's right. It's it's really not a love story at all. It's sort of tacked on the way that it is in most Hollywood movies. It's tacked on the way that the love story in Guardians of the Galaxy is tacked on. Um, and and the like psychic bees that she controls with her mind <laughs> that doesn't happen in the movie. Like, right. I mean, listen, there's well, plenty of things you can say about the bees. They're ridiculous, <laughs> but it's not that. I mean, the movie is crazy, right? And that's something that I actually think is a, a, a positive more than a negative. So you think, you think it's a truly original movie? No, I think it's riddled with cliches that are assembled in an order that I've never seen before. <laughs> I, <Right>. And you <laughs> know what? I honestly, there were periods in that movie where I did not know what was going to happen next because structurally, uh, it's just it's different from what I'm used to. Now maybe that's a maybe that's sign that uh, that's a sign of bad writing, or maybe they're just throwing out the idea this sort of Robert McKee notion that every single movie needs to have the exact same plot down to the betrayals and reversals and the second act moment of you know deepest darkness. Um, right. Whereas every other big budget sci-fi movie I've seen recently, whether it's something that um, you know, makes a billion dollars like Guardians of the Galaxy or something that's an Oscar contention like Gravity or Interstellar. Uh, it's, it's the same. I mean, every single plot is exactly the same. And you know, at that 40 minute mark, when something bad happens, you go, okay, well, now I know how the next 30 minutes of this movie are going to go out exactly. Mm. Um, uh, that was never the case for me watching, uh, watching Jupiter Ascending. Now, part of that's because there are some bizarre tonal shifts in the movie. Um, mm. And again, you can make criticisms of those that are legitimate criticisms, but only if you've seen the movie, right? <laughs> and so that's why I'm not, I'm not saying you need to like this movie. This is the best movie I've, I've ever seen. But I am saying that if you like sci-fi, you should check it out because it is different from the other stuff that you've been watching. Right. No, so like, if that was the initial premise of your argument, I would have totally no problem, I would totally have no problem with that, where you were saying like, you know, I've seen this movie I think it's maybe not the best thing ever, but if you like sci good original science fiction movies, you should go see it. Like, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Um, even yeah, if, like, like, like Angela was saying in her review, I think, essentially, it's like, well, this movie's pretty dumb, but you should go see it because it has whatever these other redeeming qualities and or, you know, maybe it's good for science fiction movie making. Like, you know, having seen it on all that, I, I, I can say, like, okay, whatever. But, you know, making the argument that you should go see this movie, even if you're pretty sure you're going to hate it. You know, to support, <laughs> you know, like that's the thing that I just can't get. But right. also, yeah, but, that's but, that's that's why we we came on here to disagree yes. with. You. <laughs> <laughs> but well, but, right. So, well, well, I'm wait, not. Wait, 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 wait. Okay. So the other thing that I that I found really strange about this whole thing is that, um, like Matt had noted, how he had seen so much uh, sort of vitriol being spewed against the movie. But I I saw the other side of it where I was like, huh. How how can there be so many people make basically arguing the same thing as you guys saying like oh no you should really go support this movie I'm like this seems weird to me because there are so many people saying that's terrible and so I was like well where was this argument when like Edge of Tomorrow was in theaters which was actually a pretty good movie and mm -hmm. yet it tanked and, yeah. and it's like okay well I'd much rather support whoever the people who made that because that was actually a pretty good movie um but nobody I wants to go it. see it. Yeah, I mean, I, I liked it. it. That was one I of my it. favorite science fiction movies of the year. Yeah. So so yeah, I just thought yeah. that was really strange that, that this Wachowski movie, you know, that a lot of people are saying is terrible, was getting all of these defenders 
Um, whereas, you know, something else like that didn't, you know, so I, I wondered, like, what is it about this movie that, that got people out coming to defend it? Well, you know, it's interesting. I think that one, I believe we had, I did remember a little bit of that conversation happening around Edge of Tomorrow. I also remember the same conversation happening slightly around Pacific Rim, uh-huh. which like, for some reason got like immediate nerd rage and then it wasn't. And then like some, everybody kind of landed somewhere in the middle and it ended up kind of breaking even, but it made no, I mean, it ended up making a lot more money overall internationally and stuff like that. But like, you know, in the end, it never reached like that, you know, 150 million opening weekend or whatever that's supposed to be kind of the golden ticket. Um, but, you know, I'm still sitting here kind of thinking about the the romance subplot and I specifically about like the trailer. And there's a couple things about that that always sort of surprise me when that happens. One is that I think whenever like a trailer does that, it sort of triggers this thing where like people automatically go, oh, well, that's girl stuff and get all like, you know, like worried about it or whatever about it. And like at the same time, I think that sometimes they put that stuff in trailers so that they can try to get women viewers because they still think that women only want romance or something. I don't know. Like, I feel like sometimes those things happen in these scenarios where kind of nobody knows who they're being, or nobody knows that they're being pandered to or if they're being pandered to. Um, and it kind of becomes this, you know, overall problem. I remember somebody saying something very smart in a similar vein about the Hunger Games movies, like people who dismiss them possibly just don't like the idea of like a female running the show. Um, or they get all, you know, dismissive about the fact that like Katniss is having a love triangle. What is this twilight? And this, I remember I was reading a critic online. He's like, it's not a love triangle. These are just the only two friends she has. Like, you know, it's a sort of this thing where it's like everybody gets all mad about it. Whereas like if it was a male leader and, you know, there were two women in his life, like it wouldn't be like people wouldn't get all up in arms about it the same way. Um, and so like, I kind of like, I feel like it's, this weird disconnect that also just happens with like sort of fans of, you know, fans of certain kind of certain kinds of movies and then the ways in which they get marketed to and then also some simultaneously feel marketed to and like and then kind of have reactions to that at the same time. Um, I don't know if there's, there's really a point there, but I just was kind of <laughs> something I was sure about. <laughs> and I was curious what you guys thought. Well, no, Angela, I want to ask, you know, Matt said earlier that he thought that this movie, not just the trailer, but the movie itself had more of a feminine aesthetic as compared to mm-hmm. Guardians of the Galaxy. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that that, that, it, that can be true in the sense of like, you know, that there, that there is some, I don't know if, it was where Matt said that and I knew what he meant, but I couldn't give you an adjective to describe it or anything or like think of a, think of a scene that happened. I mean, I guess maybe in the way that Guardians, because of like the Star-Lord thing and Rocket Raccoon, like there's just like sort of maybe a certain swaggeriness to it that I guess we uh, sort of perceive as being more, more masculine. Like that's where that comes in. But yeah, it's like I sort of understood that, but then couldn't figure out like why I thought it was true. Um, right. I, but I, maybe you could speak to it a little yeah, bit I'll better. A, I, I mean, know. I'll give a couple of examples. Um, yeah. So... Uh, the, uh, pivotal scenes in the film, um, involve, uh, weddings and, um, ornate grandiose weddings. Um, Mm -hmm. the plot entirely hinges on, um, not wanting to grow old and die, uh, wanting to look young and beautiful forever. Um, and uh and it's uh the the climax is is about a a young woman trying to save her family trying to protect her family um in a very sort of uh 
you know, maternal, uh, mm. caring kind of way. Not a, I'm going to kill the bad guy kind of way. <laughs> I'm going to destroy this, way, this yeah. I'm going to destroy this huge phallic spaceship and let the things <laughs> rain down all over this city. Not that kind of way. Right. Yeah, you know, I was going to say um the uh the the feminist angle for uh that the plot has such as it is from what I've read in reviews that that was one thing that sort of made me start to rethink my stance a little bit just cuz I was like, well, I mean, that would be interesting to see like, you know, to, to basically like a feminist take on the Guardians of the Galaxy uh, well, well but, but John, though, the, the, main, the main character, though, Jupiter, is an yeah. unbelievably passive character in this uh, movie, uh-huh. which I mm-hmm. think undercuts its feminist credentials to okay. a substantial degree. Mm-hmm. Right. It passes the Bechdel test, but <laughs> only for about five seconds. Or five <laughs> really? <different> yeah. Points. <laughs> um, yeah, she's sort of a kind of a hero in her own circumstance. I mean, she rises to a challenge, but it's not a challenge she would have pursued, maybe had it not mm-hmm. just sort of been hoisted on her, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm like, yeah, but to that point, I still am like, you know, there, there's a woman hero. I'm, you know, I, yeah. I support this. <laughs> um, but yeah, D- Dave's right. There is a, there's a sort of passivity to the mm-hmm. way her, her character kind of gets introduced into this, into this world. And she, she does club Eddie Redmayne over the head with a lead pipe. I mean, like, that was kind of nice. Yeah. <laughs> she does, she does take agency. Yeah. I think what there, you know, this could, I could spend a long time talking about this movie. And, and the way that it fits into the Wachowskis' total filmography. Um, mm-hmm. But you kind of have to start analyzing what they're like as filmmakers, what their intentions are, um, what their quirks are. Um, one thing that I've found repeatedly is that while they have an incredibly strong aesthetic for, for action and spectacle um, and really interesting visuals, uh, they really don't understand people. and. Mm-hmm. And from the Matrix all the way through to this, you see it over and over again. That like there are these scenes that they go. It's it's almost like they're in their room going, okay. So we need to have a scene here where we develop the you know the relationship between these two characters. Okay, uh, let's add some dialogue that maybe we've seen before in another movie that will <laughs> establish those that will establish the relationship between these two characters. Let's say some sentimental things. Okay, now let's move <laughs> on to the next action sequence and we'll storyboard that right. <laughs> it's like they there is this sort of bizarre um lack of empathy um that you feel uh in these scenes of emotional you know of great emotional stakes um and it, and it's but again it's like they're not uh they're not spoon feeding you tears right uh mm-hmm. and and so, which which I think is would be equally worthy of criticism um and so I, you know I I think it is it is unique, but at the same time, there are the there are plenty of scenes in the movie where I just go, "What am I even watching right now? Why?" Like this, it doesn't make any sense. But you know, again, there are there are merits to going to see movies that are you know fun and dumb. Um, I, I, having now watched it, I can say it is dumb. It is also fun. I want to mention Matt a couple of things that I liked in the movie. I mean, John was saying. At the beginning, that he thought everything looked dumb. I actually, I, I'm a, I used to be a fairly serious rollerblader, and I played roller hockey and stuff. So I actually really loved the anti gravity rollerblades. Uh, Word. I, uh, I yeah. thought, but um, the part about there's like a section in the middle of this movie where they try to get her. Um, they have to navigate this this intergalactic bureaucracy. <laughs> I found that just right. really. It doesn't fit with anything else in the movie, but it's it's oddly compelling, and I kind of wish the rest of the movie had been more like that section. And- 
And Terry Gilliam shows right. up, right? Like, you know, <laughs> as, the, as the bureaucrat. Yeah. It's literally a 10-minute Terry Gilliam sequence, and then he shows up at the end of it. <laughs> at the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Um, all right, cool. So, uh, so, Rob, what do you think about all this? Have, uh, has your mind been swayed at all? Uh, I'm looking uh, up Jupiter Ascending in, on Flickster, and uh, the critics are giving it a 23%, but the audience is giving it a spilled <laughs> popcorn at 47%. There you go. So, no, I'm not, I'm not going to go see the movie. <laughs> Uh, well, the, the thing is, though, that we knew that it was 22% going into it, and there is something sort of I, zen about going to a movie <laughs> that you know is 22% going in, right? Well, I didn't. Yeah, no, I mean, I, this is the first time I looked it up. So, uh, no, I, literally, I am basing my, you know, reactions and everything, literally, uh, what I saw, you know, on the, tra- on the trailer. That's that's that is it. So, so Matt, you think my you think the impressions that the trailer um, gives off are they're emphasizing the wrong stuff, and it's uh, I, the movie is a lot more inventive. Uh, it does than not the it, trailer. The trailer does not emphasize the good stuff about the movie, um, and but it but it does emphasize stuff that's kind of silly about the movie. It. I think that the trailer accurately represents that it's a movie with huge, big budget action sequences with lots of cool special effects and weird <laughs> and weird mm-hmm. emotional beats. That is a hundred percent true. <laughs> but what I but mm-hmm. what I will say that the trailer does not represent is that there um there's actually a lot of interesting stuff going on. I don't know how sophisticated the social commentary in the film is, and I have read reviews that criticize the commentary as being hypocritical in relation to the film as a whole, mm-hmm. but um, it's a lot more thought-provoking than, than most of the summer fluff that you'll watch. Um, and so thought-provoking? You, know, you really mean that? Thought-provoking? Yeah, I think that I think it's a lo- I think it's a big-budget sci-fi movie that deals with issues of class. Um, in a way that you generally don't see, um, hmm. you know, you like, yeah, it, I, I would rather go see a movie with, for all of the weird dialogue in the movie, um, and kind of bizarre performance choices, uh, I would rather go see that than another movie with the same 20 minute prison break sequence I've seen a dozen times. Oh, you're referring to Guardians <laughs> once again. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree with Matt on this one. I mean, the, the villains in this movie are this trio of decadent, immortal, oligarchic uh, royalty, sort of space royalty. And uh, I, I love that stuff. Uh, that was uh, that's sort of the, the kind of nine princes in amber kind of stuff. I, I, yeah. I love the oligarch uh-huh. stuff. There was one review that that criticized it for taking too much from Dune. But actually, there's a lot of comparisons you could make um, to Dune with this movie. And I actually find that... Uh, there's just these weird spectacle things that happen. And I also like that the three, the three characters that Dave's talking about, um, are different kinds of, of villain. They're not all the sort of scheming, chaotic evil characters that we've come to expect from, from movies. They have different, they have very different agendas, um, and pursue their goals in different ways. And I, I find that interesting. 
So I was thinking about the trailer, and you guys were saying how they put the romance subplot in there to, to get the women viewers. Maybe they put that stupid dog line in there to get the canine viewers. <laughs> well, you know, okay, honestly, it worked. It was funny. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, to that point, though, I was like, I thought they were trying to get the spaceballs viewers because the next thing I want him to say was like, "I'm a mog. I'm, I'm a half mog. man, half dog. I'm my own best friend." <laughs> That's why I, I was like, "He's a mog. He's a mog." And then he's like, "I'm a splice." I'm like, "What's a splice?" <laughs> You were a mog. Oh my god, that's hilarious. Uh, I'm curious, Angela, what do you make of uh, the thing Rob brought up about how the audiences seem to be much more positive toward this movie than the critics are? I mean, I think that that, one, I think it's true. I think it's also just like, this is kind of how, I mean, it's like what happens with like something like Edge of Tomorrow. I mean, Edge of Tomorrow, I think actually got pretty good reviews, but like Pacific Rim or, you know, whatever, where there's sort of a difference between, you know, what is actually good, you know, cinema, you know, like capital F film versus like what is sort of an entertaining lowercase m movie. Um, and so like, I think that that's just one of those things that's happened here. Like there's a lot of people I think that would go to this and, you know, be like, well, that was really fun, you know, really fun in two hours and I'm fine. And, you know, thanks for playing. And that's that. Um, and, but, you know, like I, d- I do always wonder when, when those splits happen, like when, you know, audiences respond more strongly to something that you wouldn't imagine them to, or they don't appreciate something that you think that they sh- would have liked. Um, I don't, as to what I make of it, I, I, you know, I don't know. I wish I could, I wish I could kind of understand, you know, how these things happen, I guess. Well, I think that it, um, I think it relates to this trend that I've seen lately and sort of moving beyond the film um, was one of the big inspirations behind me making my, my post initially. Um, which is that we're at a we're at we're in a period of time where people really love to hate things. There's this yeah. perverse joy in it, and so many reviews are geared towards just piling on as much as you possibly can. Mm-hmm. And I think that this is sort of the feeding frenzy that's that's popped up around this movie, and it's happened before with others too, where um, people just like especially uh, in the sort of like geek communities that we travel in, um, people just love to hate things. Uh, and it just all sort of feeds upon itself so that you get more and more of these um, more negative reviews piled on more and more negative reviews. Right. Um, I think that's a big part of why once people smell blood in the water, then that's what makes those percentages just go down and down and down. Right. And it's easier to sound smart and funny when you're hating on something than it is to sound smart and funny when you're liking it. Yes, it's always much easier to, to attack than, than to defend. Exactly. Yeah, to pick apart. Right. Yeah. If someone in the comments of your negative review says, but I like this movie, everyone will say, too bad, it stinks. But if you say this movie's really good, you know that there are going to be plenty of people at the bottom of the page saying all the reasons why you're wrong. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that, yeah. you know, I don't know, for me personally... As I've become someone who's now putting my own creative content out into the world, I guess I'm just less interested in that kind of engagement, the sort of overly hostile piling on. Well, so now that there has been this whole feeding frenzy on this movie, what do you think this means for the Wachowskis and for original science fiction moving forward? For me, I, you know, I don't know. I think about that and I'm, I kind of feel like, you know... Um, uh, was it John Carter a couple years ago where, you know, like that ended up losing so much money. And again, John Carter wasn't that bad of a movie. But I became... so agree with you, Angela. This is Rob. I so agree with you. I really liked John Carter. I'm totally with you there. 
Yeah. And it was like, it became that blood in the water movie of, of that year, you know, and I, and it, and then it feeds this thing, but you know what? Somebody still paid a hundred million dollars for the next, to make the next sci-fi movie. Like, I don't know that it'll, I don't know what it's actually going to do for the Wachowskis. I know that I think they're doing a series for like Netflix or something. Like, I feel like they are cats that always land on their feet. Like they will, they, you know, will find another way to make what they want to make and, you know, and do their thing, whether or not it'll be something on the scale of Jupiter sending, I don't know. I think, but I think that they will find another, you know, another project to do. Um, and, you know, I think that Hollywood, for as much as they're fear adverse in terms of like trying something new and trying something creative, like they still have to keep making movies every year, you know, <laughs> like, and so like, and because sci-fi and genre films seem to, you know, still, you know, have a lot of staying power and have a lot of, you know, when they strike, they strike gold. So like, they, they're going to keep making them, but I, will this kind of lead to another shift of like, well, let's just keep playing it safe, possibly. I, I, I hesitate to say it, but I do kind of wonder if that will be the case. We'll see. Which is the most non-answer answer. answer I can think of. <laughs> but it's the one I got. So, so but the, the, the underlying, um, gee, what, how do I phrase this? The underlying, and I, and I don't, I'm going to say with the word resentment, but um, please correct me if I'm wrong. But I'm getting a sense from Matt, and, more from Matt than from Angela that there's um you're you're kind of like really um uh, resenting this marvel uh comic uh juggernaut uh that is rolling through uh the landscape of uh, cinema right now i i think that so i'll identify myself at the outset of this as a giant marvel fan big marvel comics fan big marvel movie fan um, I've seen them all, uh, or nearly all. Um, and I, I think that, uh, what I'm becoming tired of is, uh, the repetitiveness in the storytelling. I feel like I know everything that happens in a movie, in one of these movies before I go and see it. And not because I know the backstories of the characters, which I tend to know pretty exhaustively. Um, but it's just the predictability of every plot point. They're clinging to these um, story structures so closely uh, that nothing is really surprising me anymore. Um, I've been picking on Guardians of the Galaxy uh, during this conversation only because of the um, pronounced uh, difference between the way that I'm seeing a majority of fans uh respond to one movie versus the other. When I'm viewing it, I think maybe in a more objective way, that's uh, seeing that they're actually much more similar than, uh, you know, an initial glance might lead you to think. How is uh, Jupiter Ascending doing in the box office? I mean, we've been talking about the fan reaction and stuff and the hate and all that kind of stuff, but how is it actually doing at the box office? I don't think that well. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't think, I don't, I don't think it topped the week it came out and I don't think it's gotten anywhere close since. Um, I'm trying to remember. I thought I just saw the numbers, but now I can't remember what they were. And to be, to back to the other point, I am a hundred percent also a total Marvel fangirl. I wasn't trying to like, I'm not, this isn't a like us versus them kind of thing. Like, I don't feel like okay. we have to be juxtaposed. Again, like to Matt's point, it's like, it's, it's the easiest analog to say, you know, well, there are all these things already based on 
previously existing properties versus this thing, which is not. And, you know, Marvel just kind of happens to be dominating that space at this particular right. moment of this conversation. But no, I, I would, if the Marvel movies went away, I would crawl in a dark hole and cry for a while. But <laughs> <laughs> that's neither here nor there. It's just, I wish that there was an ecosystem where they both existed, you know, like where uh -huh. we could have, you know, comic book movies and, you know, movies based on books and then also, you know, things from filmmakers that, you know, kind of were born a little more, you know, a little more from there. From their own imaginations. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and to Rob's to Rob's point though, my understanding is that Jupiter Ascending has done terribly at the box office. And we actually the first show we tried to see, they had actually canceled the show before we were able to catch it. And I was really afraid it was going to be out of theaters before we got a chance to see it. I've done a little ninja web searching and I can provide ah. you with a little bit of information. Um can I take domestic, a guess first? Domestic, sure. Uh thirty two million? Ooh, very close. Total domestic box office as of February eighteenth. 35 million. Ooh, nice. Uh, worldwide, 96 million. And what was the budget? Oh, wow. $176 million. <laughs> Yikes. Okay. Yeah, you know what? You know what? That movie's going to make its money back. Sure it will. Internationally, yeah. yeah. Of course. Yeah, yeah, because, because, you know, the international, the theatrical runs are basically a big promotional tour for the movie because, uh, you know, uh, film studios, they don't really make... Uh, the money back, you know, with the theatrical runs. They make the money back with, you know, as you know, the, the streaming and the, the DVD sales and, you know, the home entertainment, you know, uh, division. Um, that's, that's how they make their money back. And it seems like, uh, you know, with the international, uh, bounce that they're getting, uh, with, you know, and couple that with the uh, home entertainment uh, revenue that they'll eventually get, um, it seems, you know, just from the what the numbers that you just quoted, it seems like they're probably going to make their money back and maybe some profit. All right, cool. So we're uh, we're pretty sure on time here, so I think we need to start wrapping this up. So I'm going to give John the final word here. Uh, so John, what are you taking away from this conversation here? Well, you know, I mean, uh, the thing is, I I think that there's so there's such a wealth of actually really intelligent science fiction that already exists in the world that filmmakers could actually turn to that to to turn it into movies instead of like hiring people like the Wachowskis who um who uh I, I this is going to sound kind of mean but to me kind of seem like intellectually bankrupt um as filmmakers you know like and and you know the thing is like there's all these great science fiction novels that they could just adapt um so the Wachowskis if they were given um like this great science fiction property, like I think they could probably turn that into a good movie, but with them, like, but somebody else should write the screenplay for sure. And, uh, you know, just, they're just directing that. Like, I think they could probably make a great movie out of that, but I mean, just, you know, turning them loose on, on original movie after original movie, like, I don't think that's the right move. And I don't, I, I still, I'm still not convinced that, that supporting this kind of movie is going to, you know, nurture any, um, any new uh, and, and exciting science fiction movies, but, um, but I, I will say that the conversation at least did soften my stance on seeing the movie ever at all. But I think I'd probably want to see it at home where I could turn it off or at least leave a room if I didn't <laughs> want to feel if I, didn't, if I didn't feel like watching the rest of it. I think the sad thing about that, though, John, is that I don't know if I would have enjoyed that this movie that much if I hadn't seen it in a, on the big screen with a bunch mm. of friends. Yeah. You know, right. I think if I think if I had just seen it on my computer, I would have just thought it was kind of boring. Well, I do have a I do have like a 73 inch television. So my my TV at home is pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and the theater was, des at least for me and Dave, the theater was deserted enough that I uh -huh. was able to shout at the screen at various points. <laughs> <laughs>
Really? I mean, was that on opening night? No, this was like a week after it came out. Oh, oh okay. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and every everyone in the theater obviously knew that it was going to be not a great movie. There was kind of we a... were We were all shouting at the screen. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Would you guys see it in Times Square? Uh, no, Lincoln Square. Oh, Link. Oh, okay. Oh, is it IMAX? No, they had like no. relegated us to the. I think they had intended for it to be an IMAX, but then they shoved us in the basement. And it like it was like a little art house theater down there. There were like twenty five seats. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I like I like those movie theaters they have down there in the basement. And they gave us three D glasses, but the movie was not actually in three D. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. So they had obviously they had obviously moved it to the you know smallest theater they could find uh, you know on short notice. Right, right. Uh, all right, cool. So uh, yeah, we should uh, start wrapping this up though. But uh, this was fun. I want to thank Rob. It was this was Rob's idea, kind of, to do this more of a debate format kind of thing, and it was a lot of fun. Uh, we'll have to do this again sometime. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm glad you took me up on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so uh, guys, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Thanks. Thank, thank you. you very much. And that was our panel. So a big thanks again to John Joseph Adams, Matt Lenton, Rob Bland, and Angela Watercutter for joining us on the show. And don't forget to check out the new novel Welcome to the Jungle by Matt Lenton, as well as the anthologies Wastelands 2 and Operation Arcana, edited by John Joseph Adams. So I think today's debate shows that reasonable people can disagree on whether or not to support Jupiter Ascending. But I think if there's one thing we can all agree on, it's that we should all do our part to support science fiction podcasts. So if you'd like to support a science fiction podcast like, say, this one, then head on over to patreon.com geeks and sign up to give us a dollar per show, or two dollars, or 50 cents, or 25 cents, it's up to you. Every little bit helps. Our current total is $126.64 per show. If we hit $250, that'll guarantee that we continue through the end of the year. And if we hit $400, that'll guarantee that we continue through June 2016. So if you're looking forward to another year or more of Geek's Guide to the Galaxy, please head on over to patreon.com geeks and sign up. I also want to give a huge thank you to Juan Gutierrez, who just signed up to give us $10 an episode, which is pretty amazing. That makes him the third listener, along with Nicholas Rogers and Bruno Ankier, to be giving us $10 or more per show. It's really been a giant thrill for me to discover that there are listeners out there who enjoy the show so much that they're willing to chip in that kind of money. And those large contributions really go a long way toward keeping the show going. So thanks again to Juan Gutierrez, Nicholas Rogers, and Bruno Ankier for their incredible support. I'd also like to give a special thank you to everyone else who took the time this week to sign up on Patreon. Their names are Estelle Tidy, John Snyder, Christian Verweebe, Chuha Eskalinen, David Sabolski, and Jeff Gass. I'd also like to give a special thank you to Nick Suffolk, who just made a $40 contribution to the show via PayPal. And remember that if you don't want to sign up on Patreon, you can always give us one-time or monthly contributions via PayPal over at geeksguideshow.com slash crowdfunding. All right, so that was our show. So thanks everyone for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Geek's Guide to the Galaxy is a production of Wired.com. For more information about the show, visit geeksguideshow.com. To learn more about your host, visit davidbarkirtley.com. Music and voiceover produced by yours truly, Jack Kincaid. If you enjoyed this program, tell your friends. If you didn't enjoy it, tell no one. Thank you for listening.